So today we talk with Greg Mack. The Mack Attack. The one and only who created a client management system and client intake system, I should say, and management that um, completely revolutionized our shop. He completely head to toe. Totally. Definitely put us on the right path to uh, building a sustainable clientele um, and more importantly, a lifelong clientele, yeah. which I think is probably what most people are looking for. <laughs> I only want temporary clients <laughs> right. with really superficial Said needs. nobody ever. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, what's super cool is, I don't know about you, but when I went through this, how many like aha moments did you have when you went through his course? A ton. I mean, he's he's just one of those people that he captures your attention, you know. And um, I think when he teaches and when he goes through things, like he's so meticulous about every little detail that whether or not you fully understand where he's coming from or not, like you at least appreciate the fact that he has literally researched every single pinpoint point that he makes during, you know, his courses that you're like, this shit's got to work. You know, I mean, it's just like. There's people that say they do. Right. And then there's those people that like are quiet about it. And then they just rattle off like context and, and study after, after study, after study. And you're like, that is impressive. Well, the, you know, the one thing that caught me, you know, um, initially, right. And he's very upfront with it. He's, you know, he's a self self-proclaimed linguist, right? <laughs> so, you know, what do you always think of like people that use like these big fancy words is like, they're probably compensating for the fact that they're not really that smart. You know, they learn a word and sometimes, most of the time they don't even use it in the proper context, mm -hmm. right? Um, he's the total opposite. Like <laughs> he, he is as smart as it, as anybody I've ever been around. Um, this shit goes up to 11. Right. Yeah. And he uses it because like he gets bored <laughs> with regular language. <laughs> he says, so there's a word that really describes this whole, this whole <laughs> scenario. And I'm just going to drop it on you. It, it's, it's unbelievable all the way down to, um, whether or not you're a trainer, it's like, if you want to have a real conversation, like the whole idea of communicating stemmed from this class, like the strive to be a better communicator, understand where people are coming from and get to the bottom line of what I can do to actually help when they're telling me exactly what's going on. And I can interpret that in a way that I can help. Right. So you're basically learning to meet your potential client where they're at and you're having a serious conversation about, you know, what are your expectations of me and then what are my expectations of you mm -hmm. and the things that you're wanting me to potentially do? Do I even offer that type of help? Mm -hmm. Right. And whether or not it's a it's a fit and whether it's something that either party actually wants to enter in to that relationship. Right. And I think that um, especially when you're a new business and you're a new business owner, um, Nobody wants to turn away clients, right? Like that's, you know, most people, that's dollar signs walking through the door. But at the end of the day, it's, you start to realize very quickly that not everybody that walks through your door, number one, are you going to be able to help? 
And number two, should you even be trying to help? And, yeah. Yeah. you know, some of those decisions can have long-term ramifications on your bottom line, you know? Um, so I think, you know, going through Greg's process really kind of allowed us to get on the same page of who we are, what we do, what we don't do, the type of clientele that we're trying to bring into our shop and staying congruent with all those things. Right. Um, And I think it's invaluable. And quite honestly, like it's one of the better courses that I've ever taken. Yeah. Yeah. It blew my, blew my doors off right off the bat. And as you guys are listening to this podcast and, you know, whether you're in your car or you're in front of your computer, or you just got your phone on you, you know, make sure that you guys subscribe to the podcast. Um, leave us a review with a couple of stars and positive comment, hopefully multiple stars. And if you want more, go to bizbody.net. We have an entire free workshop to help you redesign your business and your practice uh, in alignment with you. Right. If you're... Uh if you're somebody that's uh, looking to get started, maybe kind of on the fence whether you want to start a business or not, maybe you've been in business for several years and just aren't where you want to be, this course, I can tell you, like will change the way you look at things, but also almost get everything in a line um, to make better decisions. No more burnout. No more burnout. No more second guessing. No more, ooh, I don't know what that means or what that number is. Um, Stop it, feeling jumpy and get get your practice going exactly get you know it's it's something that uh you know has taken us years and hours upon hours of time um that we went through and we packaged it up in this nice little you know present with a big red bow on it and really all you have to do is read and follow along and if you don't like to read we did a podcast on each episode, so <laughs> if you're like myself that doesn't like to sit down and read a bunch of stuff, then just listen to the podcast that goes along very, with each workflow. Very auditory, and if you think that, if you feel like you're playing small and you're frustrated with all the decisions you're making right now, like maybe they're just not in alignment, this will help. This will help a lot, and it's helped a bunch of people already. I'm looking forward to how many more people it's going to help, and it's free. It's literally being a part of our community of people that want you to succeed. So this is a first step into succeeding and knowing exactly what it is that you want and then your vision on where you're going to go. So that's all on bizbody.net. Sign up for it. And uh, without further ado, the interview with Greg Mack. Greg Mack, thank you for being here. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. I know that you're traveling all over the place, um, doing some really amazing things, putting together um, a, a pretty pretty stellar uh, Instagram, LinkedIn feed right now and social media feed, which which has uh, been very insightful with uh, the Greg Mack Muscle Minute. Um, been for, watching that. <laughs> I have, man. I, I like I like the evolution of it. So and um, so. If you could, can you just tell us a little bit about like the evolution of your practice and your career? Uh, certainly. I'm just quickly, I've, I've been in professional practice now for, I guess, coming up on 28 years. Um, I mean, growing up as a recreational athlete and then being in the service as a, a Navy diver where I had to be in shape, if you will, 
professionally um, in order to meet my physical readiness qualifications quarterly to maintain my active status as a Navy diver definitely changed the way I looked at exercise from just kind of a fun recreational thing you do um, to kind of stay in shape so you can play sports to, oh, wait a minute, um, this is a little more serious and I've got to pay more attention to what I'm doing um, so that I can, you know, meet performance objectives as well as, you know, keep my, keep my job. Right. <laughs> so that was, a, that was an early, an early kind of revelation, um, you know, but I'm, I was exposed to traditional bodybuilding kind of protocols and ways to approach training, uh, as well as, uh, power lifting, power lifter, right? Yeah. I did some power lifting when I got out of the service, came back to Columbus, Ohio, um, got hooked up with a friend of mine, um, uh, Bob Coe, uh, who's, who's now quite a famous guy in the world of powerlifting. He, he trained someone named Dave Hoff, who was probably the strongest powerlifter um, ever. Don't tell that to Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In terms of, in terms of um, equipment assisted powerlifting, right? There's yeah. branched off, you have equipment assisted, and then you have raw powerlifting. Um, and so I met up with him. He was a high school buddy to hang out with, and he was kind of headlong into powerlifting over here. We have West Side Barbell Club mm-hmm. uh, here in Columbus, Ohio, and so he was kind of brushing up against West Side Barbell, working with a guy named Matt Dimmel, um, kind of put West Side on the map uh, as one of the first men in history to squat over 1,000 pounds, Whew. back squat 1,000 pounds in a competition. So I, I started training with those guys and uh, got into powerlifting. Um, with some bodybuilding stuff for several years, and we're talking about probably late, late mid late twenties hmm. to mid mid thirties. I did some, did some powerlifting. Didn't compete or anything. Um, just tried to you know hang with those guys. <laughs> Very difficult. <laughs> what was? Can you can you get a little bit more of that? Like what what was like when you started slowing down from powerlifting and and bodybuilding and and whatnot? Like was there like an aha moment? Where you were just yeah, like... I, mean, I was getting I was getting injured. Okay. Right, and so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, what am I doing? I mean, I'm not making money doing this. I, my hips jacked up. I hurt my back doing pin pulls. My shoulder was tweaked, and you know, I'm like, what am I doing? I can hip toss a car and <laughs> throw a, you know, throw somebody over the over the, the cliff and. And I'm like, what am I doing this for? I mean, yeah. you get up to 500 pounds, 600 pounds, squatting, deadlifting. And I'm like, what am I doing this? I'm getting hurt. So that was kind of the big thing. Like, what? Uh, why am I doing this again? Yeah. So I had to, had to kind of rethink rethink that idea. And at that time, were you, um, were you training full-time or were you still, you know, um, doing something else? I mean, I know, like, you went from the service to then out of the service, but, you know, how— what were you doing at that time? Were you working with clients full time? Um, uh, started to, yeah. So I incorporated the company in 1992, but I had been working with a chiropractor for the previous two years who had recruited me. We had met at a health fair and I was um, doing some nutritional weight um, loss and supplement stuff uh, with a multi-level marketing company called Neolife, which I had started in Hawaii while I was in the service and tried to bring here and I was clueless, had no idea what I was doing with it. <laughs> and so, you know, he, he kind of recruited me. We went at a health fair. I started working with him. He was very, very, you know, progressive. I mean, we had um, 
all kinds of diagnostic equipment, isometric Wanamax muscle testing units for OSHA, NIOSH standards for workers' comp stuff. We, we had x-ray equipment, Doppler, vascular screening, wow. um, traction, cryotherapies, e-stim, Russian stim, um, all kinds of stuff. He taught me how to use all this stuff and his assistant for him. And then we had a, you know, complete line of what was called pyramid selectorized equipment at the time. I don't know if they still make that stuff. No, I've never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Pyramid and uh, pretty nice stuff and, and rubber tubing on the walls. And I was, you know, kind of involved in the exercise rehabilitation part, if you will. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's really where I got exposed to these ideas of, wait a minute, you know, there's this kind of medical-ish process, and then there's this athletic, recreational, powerlifting thing. I was working out at World Gym at the time, and uh, was trying to figure out, okay, how do these worlds connect, hmm. if at all? Because just prior to that, uh, one of my first jobs as a civilian was at a Nautilus Center, oh. a Nautilus franchise, and it was just packed with first generation second generation nautilus equipment yeah and the uh, owner greg stoltz um his masters i think and actually his fizz then uh used to meet with a guy three times a week in a wheelchair he's coming in a wheelchair and he'd lift this guy up and put him in the nautilus equipment and i started kind of helping and this was the first time i really saw anyone that wasn't able-bodied exercising i mean up to this point i'm hanging around all these able-bodied people yeah and we're training, right? And going at it hard. And here's a guy, you know, who's just exercising because it makes him feel better and it keeps his quality of life high in the face of, you know, uh, being paralyzed. And hmm. that was really kind of thought that was cool. Kind of well, taken back. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, cool. was was there like ever a moment where like you thought you had kind of had like that that, that moment where it's like you wondered if exercise could help someone that was in that position or if like we were completely wrong about exercise entirely being able to help um any type of population with with a, with a major problem yeah i i didn't you know i just thought about exercise as a way to increase performance and physical capability and we had names of exercises you know we did the names of exercise bench press and squat and pull-ups and pull-downs and all that stuff and and so yeah that was kind of the first time i really r realized oh wait a minute there's another way to think about this whole population of people i never even thought of and then i went to because uh, i was looking i was trying to decide do i go back to college you know what do i do and i heard about um uh, the american council on exercise had just come out with their uh, research study on this personal training thing right mm -hmm. what are the knowledge and and practical factors associated with someone who's a personal trainer. So I, I read the research study in the little booklet. I thought, oh, okay, looks like they've done their homework here. Heard about um, an exam they were starting to un unfold. I think it was the first industry examination. I, I don't even know if there was another one. Hmm. I think ASM was pretty close behind there. And I uh, went to the Idea World event, second annual personal training summit in Washington, D.C. And a friend of mine lived there, stayed with him. And I just started going to all these, you know, classes that they were putting on. And it was mostly Group X instructors walking around, you know. Um, and I sat in a couple courses. I thought, okay, this looks legit. Sat in one by a guy named Jeff Bensky, who's still, I think, practicing. He's a psychologist, but he was doing stat, uh, demographic and statistician work and 
presenting some research on the emerging baby boomer population. Hmm. He was saying that one of the things they clearly indicated is they wanted their exercise fitness programming coordinated with their medical providers. And so I realized, okay, well, yeah, I'm not a doc. Right? It makes sense. We're dealing with human physiology and health. Sure, that's a good idea. And so kind of between that exposure and my exposure at Nautilus Center with this guy, um, and then working at the chiropractic office, realizing, you know, a lot of the people in there were just injured because they were deconditioned and, you know, we treat them and they come back in three or four months it re-injured again. And I'm looking at them saying, you're weak, you're weak. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, we got to get you stronger, you know? And so that's, was the impetus for the business plan I wrote called Physicians Fitness. So that's what I've been primarily trying to figure out my whole career is how does that really work medicine and fitness and and that and that connection and uh it's proved to be very difficult actually yeah do you think you do you feel like you have it you have it somewhat figured out at this point or is it still a big work in progress uh it's a work in progress um some things I've figured out. I mean, I tried to uh, connect with, again, I, I, I mean, I did work out of, I think, two or three different chiropractic offices. We were um, contracted to run the personal training for the World Gym franchise here in Columbus. Uh, we worked at a Columbus uh, community hospital, um, had a center down there supporting the bariatric physicians and the industrial medicine doctors and the pain doctors there. Uh, they would refer to us there uh, for physical reconditioning and strengthening. And then I worked in outpatient PT centers, uh, six of them, um, for several years. And so I definitely was making some inroads to um, connecting the exercise fitness process to, to medicine, but it was a uphill battle. I mean, the worlds don't use the same language, mm-hmm. um, the third-party reimbursement process, the academic turf, um, it's it was tough and it is tough i mean i mean i've had i still have great relationships with physicians we've got some go-to docs we got referrals still from doctors um but you know they tell me stop trying to talk to doctors Hmm. they just they don't get it yeah most of them just don't get it you know they're they're very zeroed in on their specialty and what they do and that's overwhelmed and it's drugs and surgery and yeah, maybe they'll order some PT and that's it. I mean, that's just how that world works. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, we're still fighting to try to figure that out because we need the medical community. I'm not a licensed medical provider and I'm dealing with human health. And, and this is the real quagmire and opportunity at the same time. I think our industry is in is okay. Medicine can't fix everything. They can't mm-hmm. and they don't. You know, especially these chronic musculoskeletal jointy things, right? And the research coming out is clear. Too many drugs. Right. Too many unnecessary surgeries. Well, and so who's going to fill the void now? How does this work? Yeah. Because coupled with that, as I'm seeing research now on, hey, if you exercise regularly and appropriately and dose it right, by golly, some of your conditions go away. So right. your pain goes away, right? Right. You know, so kind of interesting, right? And so, you know, the question is, are exercise professionals ready for this, really? Right. Well, I mean, I guess I look at it as I can say personally in the last three or four years, I've, I've seen probably more of a, 
I guess, a shift where you talk with clients or potential clients and they talk about how their doctor actually recommends them doing some sort of exercise, right? And they don't know where to start. And, you know, even trying to get a hold of said doctor who gave them that advice, it's almost like they don't really care what you're doing or if you're working with that individual. They just want to know if they took their advice. You know what I mean? It's like, it's almost like an afterthought. It's like, yeah, we know you need to exercise, but I don't really care who you're exercising with or what they're doing. You just need to do it type of thing, you know? And I I guess, you know, do you see the same thing happening around where you're at? Or do you guys tend to have a better relationship with some of those docs? And if you do, how, how did you manage that? Yeah. Uh, some of them, yes. Most of them, no. I think that the doctors, just like the consumer, um, now looks at the whole exercise process as a commodity and that uh, all exercise is equivalent. Mm-hmm. Yoga, Pilates, circuit training, CrossFit, they, they just think it's all kind of the same and it all kind of does the same thing, right? You know, maybe you'll see some folks who say, well, yoga, they read some research, you know, um, and said, you know, yoga is good for back pain or yoga is good for anxiety, right? Or yoga is easier or water aerobics is better for you, whatever. But for the most part, as far as the detail of how, you know, applying forces and torques to the body, um, in the face of, uh, diagnosed and undiagnosed disease and and what can happen there both good and bad not on their radar no they're not thinking about it right do you feel like at this point that there's any educational processes out there that are actually doing a good job of preparing personal trainers and do you see in the future a potential um you know i know in washington i think they've talked about like making personal training or personal trainers have to acquire a license. Do you ever, do you see that like ever come into fruition or is there enough money to make that happen? No, I mean, you know, when I was at idea, um, I was on their, um, board, uh, for seven years and was chairman for four and was, you know, involved at least from the idea side where they were looking at this, this idea. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with NOCA, which is a governmental agency that comes into academic institutions and at least certifies that that there's a clear relationship and internal coherence, I think, between the written and practical tests and the content, right? Mm-hmm. And that there's consistency there. You know, there was a couple of problems converging together. One, there wasn't a real strong interest on the part of these, you know, large certifying bodies, ACSM, NSCA, and ASM, ACE, and all, they weren't really interested in it. Um, and two, yeah, in order to get that thing going, licensing at the state level, uh, you need congressmen, senators, lobbyists. You need to come up with a whole bunch of money to give to a lobbyist to try to get the attention of a senator or congressman or whoever to see if they're willing to carry that thing in and write legislation and put it on the floor and all that stuff. And they just couldn't, there was no interest in it. Hmm. What are some of the big problems that you see coming, you know, like these, that these kids have to face number one or practitioners now that are facing going into the future with a whole population of people that just aren't performing the way that they thought they were going to perform. It still seems like 
people coming out of school um, are, are really good at exercises with like names of exercises and, and exercising with those, like, like you said, bench press, squat, whatnot. But you're talking about a whole different animal when you're constructing exercise off of different uh, metrics. Can you, can you describe like a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a huge problem. I, you know, I think these, these exercise physiology and exercise science courses need to be coupled with, with, um, you know, the, both the engineering departments and the medical departments in their universities that, you know, th- this has to be, this has to be dealt with. And, um, at the university level, changing that boy, that's going to be a long time. And, you know, that's why you see all of the, you know, post certification, post undergraduate master's degree programs, um, cranking out people and they have to learn all of that stuff at CEU courses. That's where they have to learn it right now. And, um, again, you know, approaching universities and trying to get them to change that, you know, entire undergraduate programs, Ooh, (laughs) nation, nationwide, it's going to take a while. It may never happen again, because I think that it depends on what you want to do. I mean, there's an entire population, right? The, the consumer drives the market, whether you like it or not. And there's a bunch of people that that just want to go in, get worked out. They don't have to think about it. They want to sweat and they want to leave. Right. <laughs> it's what they want to do. I, you know, they join a gym and they're like, they don't want all this detail and this assessment, and all this discussion about their physiology and their synovial joint health and you know, the allostatic load and possibilities of creating disease. They, they don't want to hear it. Right. They just want to exercise and, and have some fun doing it and, and be, and be over with it. And so, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, they're the, I think someone, you know, with a certification and some training or an undergrad, they could probably do that. What they need to do though, is at least have a sensitivity to indicators that, that this person underneath their um, tutelage might have a problem and how would they pick up on that? And then what should they do? Right. Mm-hmm. Should they refer out? And, and again, most of the time they're just going to say, Oh, your shoulder hurts. We'll work around it. Your shoulder hurts. Go see your doctor. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it's over. And that's all they're going to do with it primarily. Now, because exercise professionals are being dragged into dealing with disease and dysfunction by the consumer right the consumer goes to medicine they don't want drugs they tried drugs they went to surgery they don't want surgery they tried pt whatever it didn't work didn't do what they wanted mm-hmm. in, in terms of removing the sensations they don't like right? that's the term we use around here right and there's all kinds of words that people use to describe sensations they don't like and the p word pain has this special status um that we give it, but it's just a word to describe a subjective conclusion of the system. Okay. Um, and so now the trainers are going to continuing ed that's offered by who physical therapists, occupational therapists, and they're stealing information from that world saying, let's see if we can bring it into my world and, and medicine and PT, you know, they've stole stuff from exercise, right? They bring in Pilates and they brought in yoga into medical rehab, right? So there's this crosstalk occurring. Um, and the question is, okay, um, 
the licensed medical providers, highly regulated, highly held accountable for hmm. what they do. Um, insurance reimbursement, and then the wild west of the exercise industry, <laughs> where you have you have no idea, you know, what someone's really capable of. Yeah. Uh, and and do they have this the tools to recognize I shouldn't be working with that, or this is how I'm going to work with that, and I'm going to try to communicate with some other people to help me because I can't see inside of you to see what's really wrong, right? So this is the the challenge going forward is the non-licensed provider exercise professional being prepared to deal with um, complicated cases uh, of orthopedic, metabolic, neurologic disease that medicine's kind of said, we're done with you. Don't (laughs) know what else to do. Right. Go exercise, have fun, right? So tell us a little bit about the uh, the program that you put together. Um, the other side I know of the coin. Yeah, I know. You know, for us, you know, we went through your your program probably what, six seven years ago. It was uh, two thousand thirteen fourteen for me, and it was a year prior for you. Yeah. yeah, and I mean it. It honestly changed the way we structure our business, and you know, not only from a marketing standpoint, but also an intake standpoint, communication, communication standpoint, which was huge. Um, and how that's kind of evolved over the last six, seven years to where now, um, you have your own certification, um, for professionals and where do you, where do you see that going? Yeah. Well, I mean, as uh, you know, I graduated from the Navy's nuclear engineering program and, worked as an engineer on a fast attack nuclear submarine, and that's all about systems. And so I was a systems guy, I still am a systems guy in terms of, you know, how do we come up with a set of procedures um, to start figuring out some data so I can make some decisions about what to do and when I should be messing around with something when I didn't. So I, I mean, I, the, the, the course you guys took, I had started building in 1990. Um, <laughs> And it just evolved progressively over time as I learned more and got more experience and figured out what I wanted to know and 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 kind of linearize the the idea of oh wait when I make a when I make contact with a complete stranger <laughs> what do I do what what do I do first what questions should I be asking you know what should I find out and 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 so that's kind of the sales interviewing part. And then, okay, we got to make a decision about whether what we should do next. Well, I don't know anything about you other than you walked in here and you're breathing <laughs> and you can sit and stand. That's all that I know about you, right? So I needed to get information about, you know, how they moved around and how they use their body. And so I started developing um, uh, observations, uh, which we call sampling, right? I said sample their sample their motor control system, sample their physical performance capabilities and try to figure out what they could do and what they couldn't do and what caused them some trouble and gave them sensations they didn't like. And, and, you know, I started to build models, um, about, about them, you know, and so fundamentally that's what I've been doing. I'm a, you know, a scientist practitioner making natural observations about this creature walking around called human. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what's going on with them, right? Uh, and, and within my context. And so that's really what the process is. Um, it's just a matter of um, 
of contextualizing it to what I want to do, which is use exercise to help them meet whatever physical or emotional or mental goals that are connected to their physicality um, uh, as, but without hurting them anymore and, and maybe even improving them. So uh, that's the basic construct of it. Um, our problem is that the body is crazy complicated. Crazy complicated. Yeah, yeah, completely. And so, and so you know, how are you going to make, you know, critical observations in a pretty short period of time? So I don't have a month, eight hours a day to assess everything about somebody. And so I got to figure out kind of what's sufficient over what's necessary to at least get me some good baseline information um, so I can start somewhere reasonably um, less arbitrary than just saying, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the amount of variables that you have within your system that you collect data on in order to make sound decisions on where to even go with um, with challenges of the body or... Um, Whether you should even be working yeah, with that person. Yeah, it, like, it, I mean, I think we brought that up a little earlier. Like, what stuff should you be doing and what stuff should you be outsourcing? Correct. Yeah, we just uh, we just came up with a position statement on pain for non-licensed providers, you know, and so what is it that, what is our position on this, right? I mean, what's, how do we deal with this, this construct? Because even though many baseline certifications, you know, say, yes, you're certified to show exercises for the asymptomatic human. Well, these, these are, these don't exist. No. (laughs) Unfortunately, they're so few and far between most humans by the time they're 25, they got problems. And so, okay, now what do we do? And so, yeah, the whole course is designed to, to say, hey, look, if you d- instead of being the practitioner just going to ignore these things and you want to be a practitioner that actually wants to interact with the person and advocate for them and leverage exercise potentially to help them, well, then you are going to need to know a little bit more. Cool. And uh, I find it... Your- I find it interesting how like a majority of what you see out there and the craziness of social media is either people doing circus tricks or like basically feats of strength and the other half is just naked <laughs> you know? and where a majority of it needs to go it seems is everyone that's over the age of like 22 or 23, which are really dealing with major problems from when they were younger. No, it's a, you know, I just had a good friend of mine um, call me his, his uh, daughter's freshman at, at college and she started hurting. She got hurt exercising, right? Um, she had a, an injury that she kind of felt had a warning sign a couple weeks prior to this. And um, all of a sudden she gets hurt exercising, can't walk, is in excruciating pain. He calls me. I said, send her to the doctor, right? What's going on? She goes to the doctor, emergency room and urgent care on campus. They see her, spend, I don't know, 10 minutes with her, tell her she's got piriformis syndrome, um, give her some Tylenol. She's discharged. Hmm. Now what? Yeah. (laughs) Right? And how did she get hurt? Well... She's got somebody that's clueless trying to show her, you know, the big thing for the ladies now, right, is all about the tuchus. <laughs> it's all about hip thrusters and squatting and deadlifting to hypertrophy the glute, right? <laughs> and this is what I see in the gym now all day long, the ladies doing. The guys are working on their chest and their biceps still. 
and the ladies are working on their glutes, and that's fine. Only in, on the, Mondays. In, in the squat rack. I mean, they're at least in the squat rack, doing the, <laughs> yeah. doing the bicep <laughs> curls and the in the bench press. <laughs> yeah, so she's, what, loading her spinal extension, hip extension system, you know, inappropriately dosed it, and she probably wasn't ready, obviously, and she got hurt, right? And so now she's got a situation where, I don't know. She might have a lesion. Who knows what's going on in there? Making mistakes. Um, luckily, can't take back. she lived in Columbus. I have a physiatrist, a doctor I've had a relationship with for many, many years, and I can go with my client to the doctor, explain what's happening, show them what we're doing, and we have a nice corroborative, collaborative exchange, and they start to help me figure out, you know, did something really break in there or what, right? Yeah. And then we can make some decisions, and so um, about whether I should do anything or or not. And, uh, and so that's, that's where I'm at. That's what we're trying to create in the, the muscle system specialist course is, is somebody who wants to operate at a higher level, um, interacting with the most complicated thing known in the universe, the human body, um, in the face of any number of diseases or dysfunctions and coordinated with the medical community if possible. Um, as well as, you know, I'd love to get exercise professionals to understand that they're sitting on kind of a, a magic pill in a sense, right? I mean, yeah. exercise is so powerful if used properly to improve human health in any number of situations. I just wish they understood that and they could break free from, I just give people names of exercises in what I think is a, a, a good order, but that order is mostly arbitrary and random, right? Mm -hmm. so, well, I think what you're seeing is, you know, you're going to see here in the next probably 10 years is, you know, you have all these aging baby boomers, but then you have, you know, the people like we talked about who like to go into the gym and not have to think and like to get sweaty and like to feel like they did something and maybe under the supervision of somebody else and maybe not, right? But that there's this huge group of people that, as they age and because they didn't treat their body right are going to be looking for somebody to kind of help them through the last stages of life, you know? Um, and there's just not a lot of people out there that are able to, or even willing to work with those type of people to give them a like a quality of life that I think we all want as we age. I mean, would you agree or disagree with that? No, I, you know, I agree. I just, um, you know, had a conversation with our local community college and, you know, they have an associates program and, and sports fitness management and exercise, and they prepare people for Ohio state or capital, one of the other larger universities, if they want to go on and get their bachelor's or master's in exercise science and talking with the, you know, lead instructor, you know, he espoused the same thing, right? Um, the kids want to work with athletes. It's all about sports and celebrity people that don't have problems, right? They don't want to, they don't want the hassle of that. Um, and I'm trying to tell him and he's interested in the conversation or at least showing, you know, these young students, Hey, look, there's another track here or somewhere you can go uh, where there's a huge need uh, that's Enormous. not being served, which is, you know, these folks that are in their thirties, forties and fifties and sixties who really realize, oh man, I'm losing my quality of life because I'm losing my physical capabilities. Right. And they're more they're more motivated to to look at processes like we're talking about 
versus just, hey, man, I just want to run, do high-intensity intervals. I want to burn as many calories as possible per second squared. And if I don't feel like I've been crushed in a workout, then the workout wasn't worth it, right? Right. But there's always going to be that population. Oh, totally. I thought it was interesting when we were talking before about high-intensity exercise and, you know, the millennial population that's coming out with these problems, you know, whether whatever the marketing term is that they're doing the high intensity work with extreme loads or, or higher, higher volumes, it's, it's interesting to me how almost everyone that's in alignment for understanding how to load their body it can benefit like right now and yet nobody's motivated to do it. No, because it takes too long, right? We live in a consumerism society. Expediency and satisficing and decision modeling is is what people will try first. Let me do the easy thing, and then I'll react when I have to react. Until then, there's no reason for me to spend all this tedious time on discovering my you know vulnerabilities and shoring up some of my issues before I start racing my car. They want to race their car first. Then when the wheel falls off, they're going to deal with it. And I've had people tell me this. I mean, they're just going to go oh, yeah. until something breaks, and then they hope someone can fix it and put it back on, right? And this is a very immature and childish approach to human physiology and the body. And that's the first thing I would change about what's going on in education is I'd start talking about body view. Right. And I think, you know, the other thing that you see is – you know, the majority of people that can tolerate that kind of stuff and they can only do it for so long. And there's enough people out there clamoring to get those people's business that it it seems like it continues to drive the price of things down again and again, right? And No, it's a it's the commodity mindset. Right. Exercise is a commodity now. And but you as know, soon as pain but, enters the picture, right? There's like a, a hockey stick on the opposite end of the spectrum, in in trying to get the lack thereof the sensation or a different sensation. Right. It's I, I think you know when we see the the interns that come through here, at least you know I, I think that you know most of them are under the the guides of yeah I want to work with athletes yeah I want to work with you know. Um, people that like to be athletic, which I think is something that everybody wants to do because that's, those are the easy people to work with. You don't have to motivate them. They're already self-motivated. You know, they're fun to work with, but again, they have a shelf life and because everybody wants to work with them, it drives down, you know, the price that you can charge to work with those people versus the, the individuals that literally need all the help and the professional guidance that nobody wants to touch but yet, I don't think they even fathom the fact that because you're one of the few people that could potentially have a positive impact on these people's lives, they're willing to pay you more money to work with them, you know? And I guess, like, from my standpoint, like, I always look at the the uh, the idea of, like, if I could change somebody's life and still make a good living, holy crap, that would be great, you know, versus, you know, busting it nonstop, you know, when we used to train athletes, it's like you're working 14, 15 hour days to make ends meet, but yeah, it's for the love of it. Right. And, you know, for, for the betterment of everybody else. But at this point having, you know, a wife and a family and a mortgage, it's like, I also want to be able to pay my bills and have dinner with my, my family from time to time. 
Um, and I feel like what going through your system and going through your class has honestly given Keith and I the ability to do that, to actually have a life outside of just what we do on a daily basis, but actually be able to impact people's lives in a very, very positive way that nobody else really wants to, to deal with. I, I, I never want to retire from my body. I don't, I never want my wheels falling off in order to go back to the, um, the basics of what can help and what may hurt. Um, I just, I have a couple of quick questions to ask Greg. Um, what kind of technology, um, do you rely heavily upon right now, um, to help with your practice? Uh, technically or, um, from business perspective? Um, I, I guess maybe like too technical and maybe too business. Um, well, technically, um, we leverage external resistance, right? Uh, both, you know, the traditional ways, exercise equipment, dumbbells, ankle weights, total gyms, right? All these apparatus and our, our hands. What we found is um, when I can use my hands as the source of force, uh, I can control a lot of variables, um, and I'm giving up some quantification, so uh, it's, it's a qualitative technical approach, if you want to think about it that way, hmm. in that I can set up what we call configurations or postures, if you want to call them that, ways to orient the body and improve you know, muscle control or ex use exercises that no machine can do, right? Because most machines, uh, even machines that are, you know, called free motion that are trying to, you know, set up scenarios where you can move the joints in lots of different ways, still have limitations to them. And so one of the great values of, of hands-onness is I can set up scenarios, joint orientations, um, control scenarios that no machine can. And, and teach someone how to control and use their muscles there through specific exercises that have no names. There's no way to name yeah. the exercises that we create this way. And so, you know, we're working on both sides, right? So instead of being stu stuck in functionalism, you know, which says all machines are dumb and everything should be done standing or with, you know, barbells and dumbbells and balls and stuff and the body weight – you know, we get to go back and forth across that and also use machines um, that highly constrain and support body positions and force particular degrees of freedom or joint motions. And so we just look at all as a wide swath of, of tools and ways to approach the motor system and control and exercise and figure out, you know, where someone can enter and which tools are best for where they're at and use them without bias. Nice. And then um, business-wise, you know, we're still, you know, looking for relationships, uh, referral relationships um, from doctors, and, and we have some, and from groups, runners groups, and dance studios, and places that, that traditionally aren't served by medicine, like soccer and basketball, right? Uh, we're looking for the underserved, people that are still engaged in, in, the need to use their body, axe throwers, <laughs> clubs, nice. dance studios. I mean, these places, these people are interested. They want their bodies to work properly, right? 
um, they're just not doing soccer, football, basketball, right? Um, where everybody else occupies. And so we have relationships and are reaching out to them all the time. Uh, and then social media. That's yeah, awesome. You got you to gotta have, have a social media presence or you're dead. Yeah, I mean, you've been really ramping up stuff on that and it's been it's been impressive yeah. to see um yeah. well like what do you like lastly um what do you view the future of this industry of health and wellness in general like if you could if you could have it any particular way that you wanted it not just with physicians but like how do you see the model of of self-care in the future well I, you know I, I see that the exercise professional can position themselves uh, in someone someone's life similar to a, a, a general practitioner or a dentist, right? Um, who checks me up periodically and sees how I'm doing, you know, for, for the, my, I have an internal medicine doctor and, you know, their job is primarily to monitor my chemistry, right? And so they're taking a look at all my chemical stuff and, and my blood profiles of this and that. And, got a dentist, right? I mean, I brush my teeth and floss every day, but you know, my dentist can see stuff I can't see. <laughs> so you don't want to see. So I, <laughs> yeah, so I see my dentist periodically and they check me out, right? And if there's a problem, they might be able to alert me. And so an exercise, you know, professional could play that role. They, they can go to a local gym, a big box gym, a, a, a globo corporate gym, and just grind out small group classes and do personal training for folks who, um, you know, just want to go through that and they don't want all this tedious stuff, right? This assessment and analysis. Uh, and then there's a whole track for people who are like, you know, I want to function over here, um, dealing with uh, everybody else, right? Yeah. That is um, afraid of a gym, tried a gym, medicine kicked them out. They just can't join a gym. They keep getting hurt. Um, they're afraid to death, right? Whatever's going on with them and serve that population. Right. So nice. Well, where can, uh, where can people find, um, the educational side and your practice? Uh, the educational side is exercise professional education, uh, www.exerciseproed.com. Uh, we've got one day courses to introduce these concepts. And then we've got the 108 hour course, the muscle system specialist, and then some advanced courses after that. And then we have uh, Physicians Fitness, um, which is our practice in Columbus, where, you know, kind of the empirical or expression side of all of the educational stuff is done, where we do every day what we teach. And um, that's www.physiciansfitness.com. And uh, got some great colleagues I work with here. Um, and we got our little laboratory, and we're constantly exploring and learning and, and uh, figuring out new ways to uh, approach um, exercise and help, and use it to help people feel better, right? Our, our axiom, right, is move better. Once you're moving better, and that's a qualitative statement, and ultimately, no matter what you quantify about a person's performance, ultimately, whether they like it or not, <laughs> is, which, is, which is a subjective thing, which is a quality thing, is what matters to them. And so however they want to move we and, and, and move better, we get that going, and then they start feeling better. Once they start feeling better, which is kind of weird because feeling better means what? They don't have sensations they don't like. 
So now they're a sensationless, in a sense, um, and now and, and now they can move and live better. So it's move better, feel better, live better. So whatever somebody wants to do with their body in their life, we just want to help them do that. And I don't care if it's yoga or Pilates or high intensity circuit training or you know amateur sports. I it, that's for them. I, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how to help them do that thing. Um, for as long as they can without injuring themselves. That's that's it. You're just trying to uh, paint yourself in their picture. That's it. Do they want me to play this role? And that's what we do. I have people. That's what we do. I don't have a traditional personal training relationship where someone sees me two or three times a week for months on end where I sell 60, second, 60 session packages in advance and all this stuff. Um, you know, they're not buying that. They don't buy sessions from me. They buy a relationship, a problem-solving, progressive advocate relationship to help them function physically at the highest level possible via exercise. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. Do you? Uh, one quick question: Do you still have your uh, educational meetings on the weekends? Like, do you still hold those? Oh yeah, we have study sessions on Saturdays. Yeah, just like, explore, explore, explore. And now is that is that still open to? Ev- to anybody who wants to sure. join, okay. Yeah, anybody can come anytime. I mean, the whole environment here is open. Uh, we, you know, we don't really have anything here to, that's a secret or anything. <laughs> you know, so it's you know, so it's a wide open environment. Let's learn together, figure out what's working, what's not, abandon what doesn't work or what we find is better, and start doing that and go. Awesome. If somebody wanted to join the uh, Saturday. Um, Study sessions, where could they go? Um, they could just go to uh, either the Exercise Pro Ed or WW Physicians Fitness website. My email's on there. They can email me and say, hey, when's your next study sessions? And I'll let them know, and, and they can come on by 8 a.m. on Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. Cool. Awesome. Well, we definitely appreciate you taking your time. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Greg. I feel like I always learn something new every time we have a conversation. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for what you're doing. And uh, yeah, let's go. We got lots to do. (laughs) I know. We got to make a pilgrimage out to Columbus here pretty soon. Let's go. You're going to freak out when we show you what we're doing now. Oh, I I have no doubt, man. (laughs) I have no doubt. (laughs) Talk soon, Greg. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.